I was just so worn out and life just just was not rolling out the way I had planned, envisioned, dreamed, all of that. And I had a full-on identity crisis and I was a mess. But I absolutely believed that our marriage could make it. Hi everyone, this is Brenda Yoder, your co-host for the Midlife Moms podcast. And I'm excited to be here today with Mark and Jill Savage, who are the number one resource for midlife marriages. Hi, Mark and Jill. Hey. <laughs> well, hey, Brenda, it's good to be with yeah. you. I didn't know that we were the midlife marriages resource. <laughs> well, you are. As a midlife mom myself, but also as a therapist, I, I love referring my clients and people who are asking for referrals to your ministry. Oh, so, thank you. Uh, cool. Thank you. And for our audience, I want to introduce both of them a little bit. You have already heard Jill. She was on an earlier episode of Midlife Moms podcast, where we talked about kind of the empty nest years and all those things revolving around the, the fledging and the empty nest. But she and Mark have authored two books together. The first one is about money management. Is that correct? Well, it's about money management, time management, energy management. It's called living with less. So your family has more. Okay. That sounds like uh, something every family needs. <laughs> you have authored the no more perfect marriage book together. That is part of a series. Yes. Right. So mm -hmm. Jill, what I love about your ministry is that you really co comprehensively meet the needs of moms in all stages of life. Mm -hmm. mm. That's what I really try to do. It's super important to me. Um, you know, really my books have come out of my own journey as a mom. So some of my early books certainly um, deal with those early years of motherhood. And most of those are still in print. And then my most recent book is Empty Nest Full Life, um, where we obviously look at um, that emptiness season of life. Mm. And another resource that I often recommend to midlife moms, especially, um, is your book. And we just got done doing a retreat together. By the time this episode will be airing, we did the emptiness full life retreat together. Mm -hmm. And you two will also be hosting a marriage retreat in mm -hmm. 2022. Is that correct? Yes. 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 Um, and especially for midlife couples. All of you will have all of their links in the show notes. And I want to direct you to jillsavage.org that has all of the resources that you are going to be hearing just a small glimpse of today. They have a very extensive drop-down tab for marriage resources, including intensive coaching sessions that happen at your home. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk a little bit more about all of that at the end, because I want to dive into uh, what I think is really significant for midlife marriages and Jill and Mark, you call some of these kind of cracks in the foundation of marriage, a, a very specific term. And before I have you jump into that, I'm just going to share a little bit as uh, as a counselor, something just to be aware of is that about every seven years, there are really these tender points in marriages where a marriage can encounter a significant crisis. So if you think about the first end of the first seven years, the honeymoon's over, most families are starting, you know, their family, they have small children. 
fast forward to about year 14 of marriage, you mm-hmm. might be having, you know, the full house, you might have some preteens in the home, a full family life, your identity, you're probably in your thirties, your identity is starting to be a little bit shakier than it was in your twenties. And so, you know, there's a little bit of tenderness there. And then you come upon the midlife years around 21 years, 28 years, even beyond that, when Mm -hmm. marriages really start having some big gaps in their foundation. So talk to me a little bit about what you call the slow fades. Well, it's really interesting that you say that with the 7, 14, 21, 28, because our marriage hit its crisis in year 28. Right. Wow. And so uh, you're right on target. As you were saying that, I was like (laughs) doing the math going, wait a minute. That's exactly where it was for us. Right. Yeah. So in year 28, that was Mark's personal midlife crisis. Right. I, um, I just left pastoring. I had retired. Uh, actually I I ran like a dog with my tail between my legs. Mm -hmm. I was just so worn out and, uh, life just, just was not rolling out the way I had planned envisioned, dreamed all of that. And, uh, after pastoring, I, uh, started a construction business and, uh, that was going good, but I had a full-on identity crisis with no longer pastoring and no longer needed in that way. And I ended up having an affair. Uh, I left Jill and the kids and moved out and was headed into this new relationship. But uh, the biggest thing I found out was that I took somebody with me and that was me and I was a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a really long year, um, very, very dark year, but I absolutely believed that our marriage uh, could make it. Mm-hmm. And so I stood for our marriage and, um, and at the end of a year, Mark made the U- a U-turn and was so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And then we began to put the very broken pieces back together. And so we were um, seeing a counselor an hour away from our home. So we would drive an hour see the counselor for an hour, drive an hour home. It was a three hour commitment every single week for 18 months. And, um, on one of those trips, we were listening to the radio and listening to Christian music and an old casting crown song came on and the song was called it's a slow fade. And, uh, we kind of started talking about it. And one of the phrases in that song is no marriage crumbles in a day. It's a slow fade. And so we were like, we were really taken back by that and began to really talk about what were our slow fades and could we actually identify those? Yeah. So we just, as we made that hour drive, we started labeling some slow fades and identifying what they were for us. Like what, what, what a slow fade is, what we've come to understand is it's this time when, um, a marriage has a crack in the foundation and our hearts get pulled apart one little quarter inch at a time, but you don't feel a quarter inch. I mean, it doesn't, it feels a little icky in the moment, but then, you know, you, you just let it slide but the quarter inch adds to another quarter and another quarter. And over time, we now are not, our hearts are not quarter inches apart. Our hearts are miles apart. Mm 
because the quarter inches have added up. And that's what a slow fade actually is. And so we thought we were doing this for ourselves, Mm -hmm. but as we started to share it with our friends and those that we were, you know, just processing life with, we had so many people go, I think that's us. Right. They, they really began to identify that these weren't unique to just Mark and Jill, but to them as well. So eventually when we wrote no more perfect marriages, we included the concept of slow fades and we identified Uh, We actually identified seven slow fades in the book, but since then we've identified five more Mm -hmm. and um, just, these are things, these are things that happen in a marriage that we often don't realize cause damage. And if we don't recognize them, that damage will accumulate. Mm -hmm. And so we want to help couples recognize it while their hearts are still inches apart. Right right? That's ideal. But even if their hearts are miles apart, we want them to know it's not impossible to close the gap. Yeah. I, I think that's really, really significant. Um, because I think for all of us, we can kind of stand, you know, at a place that is broken and, and know it didn't happen overnight, but it, it's Correct. so hard to really start seeing those cracks in that foundation. So when thinking about things specific to, to midlife, to, especially I'm going to say kind of the forties or Mm -hmm. I encounter a lot of marriages and a lot of relationships that seem to be going really good when you're all involved with the kids, you're all involved with their activities, with school, but then it's kind of like, as the kids grow up, we as individuals, moms and dads, men and women, we start seeing ourselves outside of our children. Um, Mark, I heard you say things like being worn out, having broken dreams. And I think sometimes we get to our forties or even fifties for some people, their forties are pretty idyllic. You know, there's, there's not really that midlife crisis. I like to say, let's get, let's get to the midlife um, struggles before we get to the crisis. Right. Like we don't, we don't want to get to the crisis. So could you give me one or two examples of those slow fades that might be particularly um, familiar to, to a mom or to a couple who's in midlife? Uh, One of the uh, slow fades that were, that was most, Uh, it was one that I really uh, navigated towards was unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And I realized now that I fueled fantasy from childhood. And I had, uh, because of the home I grew up in, I had these unrealistic expectations of what my life would be outside of my uh, birth family. And I had unrealistic expectations of what my new family would look like, but I had no idea how to make that happen or what a healthy family was. And so I just continued to, uh, to fuel my unrealistic expectations in all of my interactions with Jill. And here's why I think this happens and it's significant for midlife because when we have unrealistic expectations, 
there's a gap between the unrealistic expectations and reality. Mm -hmm. And that gap is discontentment. Mm -hmm. And when you sit in discontentment year after year after year, and that this plays out in marriage. So you're discontent, you're, you're kind of not happy, but that discontentment becomes discouragement and then it becomes disillusionment and then it becomes disconnection. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why this one is so significant for midlife because it starts a downward uh, spiral Mm-hmm. of discon towards disconnection. And, and so what we want to do is we want to identify the places where you've had unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Like I know in our relationship, one of the places Mark had to, had to bring his expectations closer to reality. Okay. Cause that's what you want to do. You want to bring your unrealistic expectations closer to reality is he used to say all the time, marriage shouldn't be this hard. Marriage shouldn't be this hard. So you say that and, and you're, and it's hard at Mm -hmm. times. Right. And so over and over a period of 28 years of marriage being hard, I'm, I'm discontent with my marriage because it's hard, Mm -hmm. but now I'm not just discontent. I'm discouraged and I'm disillusioned. And now I'm going to disconnect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see, that's what happens with this unrealistic expectation. Another one he used to say all the time is we're just too different. Right. Like every couple, every couple is different. And uh, and we've we've really found that to be true. So Mm -hmm. it's not just a generalization, but every couple is different. And every couple is incompatible. Wonderfully. (laughs) Wonderfully incompatible. Yeah. And when we said that before my midlife crisis, uh, it used to really tick me off because I had this ideal that we shouldn't be incompatible. Mm -hmm. And that was fueled by that unrealism. So uh, that fueled that discontent, ultimately disconnection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one is a huge one. And we, we find that in many marriages, usually one person struggles with unrealistic expectations more than the other. Yeah. And that person is always unhappy in their marriage. They're always discontent with their spouse. And no matter what their spouse does, it's never good enough. It's not enough. And Mm -hmm. and I felt that in our marriage. Now I had my own slow fades that I struggled with. Um, Unrealistic expectations wasn't one of them for me, but I never felt like it didn't matter what I did. I could never make Mark happy. I could never satisfy him um, because he was just always discontent with our relationship. And And your um, unrealistic expectations were that we would think alike. Yes, I did have some. Mm -hmm. They just didn't like fuel lots of distance. Like, yes, I did think that we would think more alike. And I thought we wouldn't argue um, because I never saw my parents argue. So I never, I didn't think we would have conflict because I never saw my parents have conflict. Mm -hmm. So yes, initially I had that, those unrealistic expectations, but in general, unrealistic expectations wasn't 
fueling the the distance right. for me. Uh, I think a second slow fade that Jill and I have seen quite often is defensiveness. And it seems like those differences that were so exciting and cute in the beginning now are driving each other crazy and we become defensive about it and don't know how to navigate those differences or navigate the conflict that comes up because of differences. And so that defensiveness is just a posture towards each other of potential of, uh, of just ongoing and aggravated conflict. And why that matters in the midlife is because um, you get to a place to where you feel like your spouse isn't hearing you because when you express something to them and then they respond defensively or when they express something to you and you respond defensively, then they don't feel heard. And when you don't feel heard year after year, after year, after year, then when you get to midlife, you get to a place where you say, I'm tired of not being heard. And so then that raises to the top now. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you think, as I was listening to both of those, I think you're spot on. There's a, there's a phrase that unrealistic expectations are the killer of all relationships. Oh Mm. yeah. Well, I once heard unrealistic expectations are the resentments waiting to happen. Sure. Yep. I've Mm -hmm. heard that also. And defensiveness, I think is also spot on. We tend to, because they, they kind of go hand in hand because we, we project that kind of accusation towards our spouse, even if it's not a, a very direct accusation of you're not meeting some need of mine. And yes. then there's a defensiveness. But I also heard as I was thinking about all these different layers of things that are going on in midlife then. So, so you've been raising kids for maybe two decades for some people already. And again, it, you kind of get to those words I've I heard Mark say, you get worn out, you're tired. You, you may even have struggles with, with a teenage child. And so your family has been engulfed in maybe some, some struggles with parenting and you've got broken dreams. You get to midlife and most people think I should have my act together by now, but my family's falling apart or I'm tired. Mm -hmm. My career isn't what I thought it would be at this point. You know, moms, I think moms get to this stage, especially if they've been stay at home moms, and they see that empty nest on the horizon that we'll talk about in the next episode and they start freaking out. So we think of all of these things then on top of these, these basic things that really are happening across marriages of, of any stage. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes the perfect storm for there to be a breakup. I'll just share yeah. a short, a short experience that really impacted me. Um, when one of my college friends, the minute that she announced her engagement and after she was married, um, her dad filed for divorce Mm. and Mm. I was in this family's home. I stayed with them for a brief period as I was commuting back and forth one semester. And I would have never expected that from that couple. It's just a very quiet couple that you would have never thought, but it was just really telling of kind of like, well, our family's done, you know, now I'm done too. You know, just thinking about 
what contributed then to your marriage getting to a crisis point? What do you think are some of those crisis points for midlife marriages that cause it to not just be kind of like a struggle, you know, because some marriages can struggle with unmet expectations and defensiveness, but you, you kind of work through it. What do you think are some of those triggers that cause kind of a marriage that's struggling to go to that kind of breaking point of either stepping out of the marriage with an affair or just filing for a divorce or completely upending a life that, you know, you thought you knew. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, a deep, I'm going to call it a cavern, a deep cavern that people actually develop themselves. They develop this cavern and that cavern would be titled hopelessness. Mm. Hopelessness is just so, uh, it's so scary mm. and it feels so foreign and so, uh, it's so large. You just can't escape it. And that was totally what drove me that, that fueled me, that distorted my thinking. And I had been, uh, deepening that cavern over the years by just uh, ruminizing over the hopelessness. And uh, it, it really goes back to what scripture tells us is to take our thoughts captive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not realize the damage I was doing by not talking openly about what was going on inside of me, but I just kept thinking about it and mm-hmm. deepening in my thoughts. And Hopelessness is a scary place. It is. I, I think when people get to a place of hopelessness, it's something, especially in a Christian community, and I heard you were pastoring during that time. So that's something a pastor doesn't talk about, right? Right. Yeah. You can't be hopeless. You're a pastor. Right. You got, you got the access to all the hope in the world. Right. Yeah, I, I, was, I was struggling. But you were also, one of the things you've recognized is how much you were walking in your flesh and not right. your spirit. Like totally. you were letting your emotions guide you instead mm-hmm. of letting God's word guide you. And yet that is such a fine line because in a lot of ways, I was, I was seeking out God's word. I was, uh, I was uh, dividing the word for people, mm-hmm. but there was so much of me that was on top of that and so much of me that uh that was in the way and i did not realize it till uh till the crisis now jill one thing i'm wondering is i'm thinking about midlife moms who are listening to us and wondering how how do i know how do i recognize that there's these cracks in in the foundation of my marriage like whether it's me whether it's my husband I think some you know I think some people really come with a fear of especially if they feel distant with their partner um what's going to happen I just remember uh I was watching the movie failure to launch we watched that (laughs) we watched that this summer and at the end of the movie the the mom says to her son I'm afraid your dad won't like who I am when you leave. Mm. And so Jill, were, were, were there any things that looking back in hindsight, you could see kind of as red flags or things that you've noticed in working with couples before they get to the crisis point that they can start identifying as, Hey, wait a minute. 
we need to kind of talk about this and, and push through it before it gets to that crisis point. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, my, you know, my slow fade that I struggled with was a slow fade of avoiding emotion. And I would say that that would be a red flag, you know, uh, because often in, in marriages, what happens is one person overreacts and one person underreacts. Yeah. And what we want to do is we want to find appropriate response, Yeah. right? Like to appropriately respond to a different thing. So I think for, for me, because I was the avoider in the relationship and my, I tended to be a buck up person, you know, so when Mark would say, um, we're just too different. And my response was, well, welcome to marriage. Marriage is, you know, the, is uniting two very different people into one relationship. And then I would just drop it. Like I wouldn't go further to try to hear his heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it is normal to have some of those fears that I don't know if your father's going to like who I am if you're gone. And I'm afraid of what this next season is going to be like. So I think in those um, places, initiating safe conversation that says, okay, who do we want to be now? What do we want our life to look like? What's on the bucket list for you? And what's on the bucket list for me? And are there places that we can individually grow in this new season? You can only, you can only control what you bring to the table. And you're, what you bring to the table is how you respond to what your spouse is communicating. And it's also how you communicate to your spouse, what you're thinking. And so, um, those are the places that I think when I look back and see red flags in my own relationship, and when I help others in this season of life, I often will, um, talk to them about, it's important that you communicate what's going on in your, you know, to your spouse and what your concerns are, but how you communicate it mm -hmm. is going to make a big difference as to whether it can be received or not received. And so I would say that is a, a, a huge way of, um, of addressing it. In fact, we have a, a blog post and we'll, I'll make sure and send you the link. You can put it in the show notes. It's called a, what to say when the love goes away. Mm. And it's specifically how to have conversation with your spouse in a way that will increase the likelihood they can receive it. So it's not, you never pay attention to me and we never go out on dates. And, and, you know, I, I don't know if I love you anymore. See, that's what often gets communicated in right. these stages of life. And that's not helpful. And that's not, that puts somebody on the defensive. And so there are ways to communicate your concerns, your thoughts, your desires that will increase the likelihood of your spouse being able to receive it. And that's what we do in that blog post. I think that's, that's a great place for us to kind of pause um, this episode as we get ready to transition into talking about those empty nest years or preparing for the empty nest years while your nest is emptying. Um, but what you just said, you guys really have identified some key principles for marriages in midlife that are common to so many marriages, unmet expectations, 
-hmm. defensiveness. But then what you just said was what to do when the love isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of midlife couples get to their forties and they personally go through their own little crises. Yeah. And I think we, they tend to look at each other and I say, and I should say we, because I know I've been on this journey myself with my own marriage is to look at the other person and say, wow, I don't feel, I don't know if I feel about you the way I did 20 years ago. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I love you. We're so different. And so I'm going to just pause it there. Um, In the meantime, I want you to go to Mark and Jill's um, resource page on Jill's website, you can go to jillsavage.org and she has just a plethora of free content that's there. You guys have three free eBooks that are listed there, right? Mm -hmm. We sure do. And you have all resources, including not only your marriage intensive coaching opportunities, but you also have some workshops, some online courses that they can purchase and kind of go through at their own pace. Um, what else will they find at your website that is very helpful just for this topic that we're talking about? Well, I would definitely say um, at, at the top of the website, you'll see um, uh, marriage and you'll see empty nest. And then in marriage, we've got, we've got resources for healthy marriages um, that want to stay that way. Our No More Perfect Marriages Home Edition Seminar is a great resource for that. But we also have resources for hurting marriages. Um, so we have our... Um, we have a course called Rebuilding Trust. So if, tr- if trust has been broken in a relationship, um, that is designed to help couples rebuild it. And then we have something called the weight is not wasted. If you're in a really hurting marriage and your spouse is unwilling to get help, And so you're kind of standing for your marriage, whether you're separated or you're together, but it's just not what you want it to be. The weight is not wasted is, is how you use that waiting season well to grow you personally. So that one is um, a really important one. And then we also have our marriage playbook. And honestly, the marriage playbook is a fabulous resource for midlife marriages because it gets you talking about the important stuff again. Um, and it literally is a playbook. Like it, it gives you um, multiple plays in your marriage, um, multiple things that you can talk about. You can have conversation about that. You probably haven't talked about in a really long time. No. And I'll give that a plug because I downloaded that, um, this year. And that's been something my husband and I were working on, especially during the, um, kind of the COVID, um, Uh right. No event things that were happening. So it does have a lot of fun conversations, especially for, um, you know, here, a couple that doesn't have a lot of deep conversations, just naturally, it's very fun. And there's, there's a lot of different topics there. Um, I want to encourage everyone to follow Jill on Instagram at jillsavage.author.author and also um, follow her on Facebook. And then looking towards next week, we're going to talk about empty nest marriages. Um, Please join her Facebook group. She has an empty nest full life Facebook group where all topics related to empty nest life and grab her books, especially no more perfect marriages and empty nest full life and join us in the next episode so we're gonna say goodbye for now and Mm. thanks so much for being with us today guys yeah thanks for having us 
And you can join our Facebook group, the Midlife Moms um, Community and Podcast on Facebook or on Instagram. And we'll talk to you next time.